0: Don't you love it when you forget how long the announcement video is and you stand up here? <laughs> Nothing like getting started. Well, it's awesome to be, to be here with you guys. Um, you know, Jesus spoke of the kingdom over 110 times. And I was going to be like Carol and go through and mark them all, but I just took the word of Google and the 15 other people who had already done it Um, So it's supposed to be over 110, so I'm saying over 110. And the kingdom of God is non-negotiable. We've already heard that through the worship. It's coming regardless of what you want or what we think. And when we get it right, it will change us personally. We will change the culture, and he will get what he came for, which is his people. And, you know, the very first message that Jesus preached... Uh, Matthew 4.17, right after John had been arrested. Uh, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The last message he preached in Acts 1.3, it says, He appeared to those after he had suffered and spoke to them and began to preach um, <coughs> spoke to them for, for, during 40 days of speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom. Matthew 6.33 he says, Seek ye first the kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. And what he's talking about is your needs and the stuff for life. You seek him, and you'll never have to wonder if you're going to have clothes or if you're going to have food. All right. And then in Luke 4.43, he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. Okay, the whole purpose that Jesus was sent was to establish the kingdom. So what is the kingdom of God? What does it look like? And of course in Romans 14, 17 we read, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost, because we like saying it that way here. Basically it's the place where God rules and Jesus is king. And so over the last several weeks we've gone through our story <clears throat> and it's a story that overrides every other story in the universe you actually have to put every other narrative that we're going through right now under this story it is submit- submitted to this story and submissive supposed to be political social whether it's justice issues privileges Whatever it is, it comes under our story. It comes under his kingdom. His kingdom rules and reigns on this earth. And it all began with creation. Remember, everything was good. That was our first message. Uh, I think we have the, the actual message titles, but I've, I'm going to go ahead and paraphrase what they mean. Uh, all was good. God created men from the dirt. So if you call somebody a dirt ball... That's an honest statement. <laughs> you can smile and tell them they're right. <laughs> and so are you, a breathing ball of dirt. Uh, of course, then in, in Genesis 3 we have the fall where they began to question God, be suspicious that he's hiding something. And uh, when I was going through these, I get, you know, I get thoughts because my my the top of my head's like a sieve and it comes in and rolls. But it made me wonder, do you realize how quickly we agree with the enemy? Like, I mean, they had been walking with God in a garden, a perfect place. And it didn't take him long at all to get them to question and to believe lies. And entertaining the enemy is always the beginning of compliance and compromise. It never never stops after the entertaining. It's like a slippery slope. Uh, then God began to work his plan, which was constructed before any of this, these things happened. That was our third uh, message. And he began starting with Abram. Kevin spoke on that, on the, uh, the blessing to be a blessing, a blessing to the nations. And God began with Abram, and that would usher in the Messiah. He created a race of people. And uh, don't forget that Sarah and Abram screwed up Pretty badly too. Uh, trying to make it come to pass, and in the last verse of uh, Genesis 16, it's when Ishmael's born. the First verse of chapter 17, God restates the promise and the, and the, his desire, and you can always be trustworthy that God's faithfulness, regardless of our stupidity, will continue to go forward. So wherever you are today, just repent. You can always get back in the plans and purposes of God. The Holy Spirit is always hovering over you, just like he was in the beginning of Genesis. He is hovering, waiting for you to respond. And you can immediately get back in the plans and purposes of God. Then we had the covenants with Pastor Carroll, and he started with Abram, went from Moses to David. I encourage you actually to go, and I will probably do this. When we're through all these, go listen to them all. And get a really good idea of the story unless we're going to publish it or make a book. Who knows? And so he made the covenants. um, And you really have to look at these as personal, not just a story. You have to read it as you're one of the characters. You're in the kingdom if you know him. If you don't know him, we can talk afterwards. But you are in the, the kingdom. It's very personal. You're a character and you have a part to play. In this. Then last week we had the incarnation, which Pastor Tim spoke on, that he is forever in our form, and that overwhelms me every time I think about it. What he laid aside and says, I love them so much, I will be like them for all eternity. He's still God, but he decided to look like us. And that just, I don't get it. I don't understand that kind of love, number one. And so he is forever in our form. His wrath is not against me. It's against the enemy who stole our destiny and inheritance. And everything that has been done is to restore everything that was lost. And no one is out of reach. And it's all set up one day for him to come back and reign forever. And so this week, we're going to talk about the kingdom. We're going to add another layer to the story. This is his kingdom, and we are part of his kingdom. I want to read you a quote by Ivan Illich, who was an Austrian Roman Catholic priest and philosopher. He said, neither revolution nor reformation can ultimately change a society. Rather, you must tell a new powerful tale. One so persuasive that it sweeps away the old myths and becomes the preferred story. One so inclusive that it gathers all the bits of our past and our present into a coherent whole. One that even shines some light into our future so we can take the next step. If you want to change a society, you have to tell an alternative story. And this is what we've been trying to do over the last several weeks, is telling the alternative story, our story, the one that overrides all stories. And the purpose of the incarnation was more than salvation. Salvation, of course, is the way into the kingdom. I'm sure the fire marshal would not be happy that there's only one door in. We'd probably get fined for that. But Jesus makes no question. I'm it. You don't come in any other way. You can argue. You can can philosophize. Have philosophy, whatever it is that you do, to rationalize where you want to go. There's one way, and he's not offended by your your stuff, but he's not letting you in any other way. And so Jesus ushered in the kingdom more than salvation. And I have a, a slide. I really don't appreciate that. I was talking with Lori last night. One of uh, my mentors, a guy by the name of Oren Paris, I would have coffee or lunch or breakfast, and he would always pull out a napkin and draw something and teach me. And so last night I decided I would honor him by doing that. (laughs) Don't anybody take this anywhere else. But if you look, notice, he would just draw something like that, and he would say, you know, the kingdom of darkness is, is, is here. It's full. But it only leads to one place, and that's death. And he said, Jesus came, comes in and opens a door to the kingdom of God. And you could also say it this way. Wide is the way that leads to death. Narrow the way that leads to life. And uh, So that was in honor of him, but I wish I had had a napkin that didn't have little seashells on it. I just didn't have time to get to Walmart. <laughs> but it was to usher in a kingdom. It's, it's a place where God is going to rule and reign forever. And Jesus was the way the kingdom came. Colossians 1.20 says, gives us the purpose of the kingdom. And by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of, the, of his cross. It's to reconcile everything, not just people. The whole earth is going to be reconciled. Everything is going to return back to what it was supposed to be because the kingdom comes. And there's nothing that, he doesn't, that doesn't matter to him. And I read a, a story where Walt Disney was doing interviewing for an executive position, and he intentionally left a piece of paper by a trash can and made sure they walked by it. And he wanted to see who would pick up the the trash. And if they didn't pick it up, they didn't get another interview. Because in the kingdom, everything matters. That's why we pick up trash. That's why we work all the time to clean up the grounds and make it look as good as we can. And that's why we should all do that. Because the kingdom is much bigger than just people. It's everything. Everything that went wrong with Adam has begun to be reconciled. And the glory of God will eventually fill all things. And church growth methods and seeker-friendly services are dangerous because they only look for church growth and not the growth of the kingdom. And so we, if you partake in those things, you you try to draw people to you instead of drawing them to him. And I've, I'm always very... Uh, I can't say proud. That's not a good thing. I'm always very happy that we don't do that. I've been in meetings here where somebody said, I don't think this is where I'm supposed to be. And we say, bless you. We're not trying to build new life. We're trying to build a kingdom. And you can build a kingdom with 12 people because Jesus did it. So we got plenty. (laughs) Although we do like having you come. (laughs) So... And um, Jesus never came to make everyone feel good. That's right. Luke 12, he says, I came to bring division and to put people against each other and make them choose. And if you look at society now, you look at the news and all this stuff. Well, don't look at the news. Just go, just walk out on the street. Um, the division is getting bigger. Even in the church, it's getting huge. There's no middle anymore. There never should have been, but now there is none. And I was thinking, when I was growing up, you know, the the chasm was about this big. You could step back and forth pretty easily and nobody really said anything. But now it's about like this. You try to step across, you're going to fall in. And you're never going to make it back. And I think, um, honestly, I think the, young, the generation under me, or maybe two now, I don't know how you figure the are going to get this a lot quicker than we did because they're living it from grade school and having to go through this and to make their convictions real and not just preferences. So obviously we don't have time to go over every every aspect of the kingdom because there's libraries of books on it. I just don't like talking that much. Um, But I want to look at two areas that I think are pertinent for, for us here in Louisville, Kentucky for these days. The first is personal transformation. Love is what transforms us, and God is love. And in that, he transforms us into his likeness. We have to change before we have anything to help change the culture. And that's what's happening now in the world. Everything you're seeing is, is backwards. They're trying to bring change to the culture with no personal change. And so they congregate into tribes and groups and try to force an agenda that's completely detached from love. Which means it has nothing to do with the kingdom. Which means God's not going to endorse it. And the other thing is, we shouldn't either. We need to stand up for what God says and not back down. Jesus coming... Brings personal transformation to those who choose it. You can't remain the same. John eight thirty one thirty-two says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Okay? It isn't being a disciple that sets you free. It's abiding in the Word. It's knowing the truth. And that word know is not like here. It's an experiential know. It's to really know his heart, what he's doing. And it's not head knowledge. It's a word which means experience. And sometimes we don't get free uh, because we read about what God wants to do, but we don't abide long enough to experience him. And I've done it. You know, I need help. Of course, I always need help when I'm in a crisis I get in there, I find a a verse I'm going to hang on to forever, and then I forget, and I don't abide long enough, and I'm not free, and I'll come back around to it. And the word truth is the same word that Jesus says in John 14, 6 when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's the same truth. So I paraphrased it like we would when I was in school. We say, looky here. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples, and you will experience me, and I will set you free. And that's what that means. It's not just reading your Bible and then going and doing something else. It's abiding in the word. I heard, uh, I think it was Mario Marillo the other day, he said, when someone comes to me and says uh, they have a prayer life, he knows that it's only a segment of their life. But if they come to him and say they have a life of prayer, they know that it's, it's constant and consistent. We need to have a life of prayer. We need to have a life of abiding in the word if we ever want to stay free. And abiding will set you free. Free from sin, which easily entangles you. Free from your thoughts. Romans twelve two right, if you... You're transformed by the renewing of your mind. Free from your wrong ideas and beliefs. The lies that the enemy has embedded in you. Or that you aren't good enough or any of those things. They'll set you free from all of that. Because that's what's keeping you from actually being active in the kingdom. Those are the things that pull you back. And the last time I was up here, I said that racism, abortion, homosexuality, were not the actual fight. That the fight is righteousness versus unrighteousness. And the issues are the battlefields. That's where the battleground is. When you abide in his word, there is a clear distinction between right and wrong. Righteousness and unrighteousness. Abortion is wrong. Period. And I know we stand for that here. We've always been pro-life. But it's wrong. It has no place in the kingdom. And if you're debating in your heart whether it really is wrong, you need to abide in the word because it's wrong. Last, uh, Proverbs 6, 16 to 19 says, uh, there's seven things that God hates. And the last part of, part of verse 17 says, hands that shed innocent blood. Abortion is is shedding innocent blood. He's not just looking away. Just because he's long suffering doesn't mean he's not going to make this right. But as as a church that walks in the kingdom, I I used to uh, like people would get into these discussions, and I really like to just be quiet. It's like I'm just going to not say anything because this isn't going to go good for anybody. But you know what, I can't do that. I am a member of a kingdom that is trying to eradicate abortion. We're trying to eradicate confusion about people's lives and what they're doing and and government mess and all these things. We're trying to change that. You can't just sit, sit idly. And we know that John 8 says if you abide in the word, you will experience the truth. You'll become free. So you can't really help anything till you're free. That's why we started this with personal transformation. If you don't transform personally, you're just going to end up being part of the problem and maybe even a bigger problem for the church because you look like you're in the kingdom, but you're not in the kingdom. I mean, the Bible says that the enemy can appear as an angel of light And if he can do it, you know we can do it. So we're to be transformed into his likeness, to look like him. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So God transforms us into his representation. We look like him. We act like him. When we get poked, God comes out. Not the word that you said last time somebody cut you off in traffic. Okay. That's, which, by the way, is a great indicator of where you're at when something comes out of your mouth. Listen. <laughs> so we're being transformed into his image so that we can actually embrace the truth and embrace the kingdom. And I know it's not easy all the time, but First John 5.18 says we know that those who, who is, are born of God do not sin. He who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him, which should put a big S on your chest. He can't get to you. He can't touch you. There is a a book that Francis Frangipane wrote, gosh, it's probably been 25, 30 years ago, that, uh, um, why is that so distracting? (laughs) (laughs) Time for a commercial. (laughs) He wrote a book uh, called The Place of Immunity. What he was talking about was abiding under the shadow of the Almighty, abiding in the Word, and this verse was in there, that the enemy cannot touch you. That you're, you can boldly proclaim the truth without fear that the enemy will, will, will harm you. And it's a place where you have safety, and if you'll deal with what God shows you, if he doesn't show you anything, then just relax. He will when he needs to. See, once you're... once. The transform your personal transformation is is intact and, and moving, you're then ready to begin to try to transform the culture. Because you now have something to offer. You're, you're ready to start establishing the kingdom in the culture, which is where you speak up. But don't forget that the language of the kingdom is love. You can't just go out there and be a, a, a horn. I have people that post, I don't post anything on Facebook because I don't want to have to eat it, but I have lots of friends who post lots of stuff that they eat, and it's, and I'm always amazed. There's not, not one ounce of love in it. It's all doctrinal statements with no life, no love, and if you don't believe the way they do, you're probably going to hell. And I was thinking, well, if you're in heaven, maybe that's, no, I won't say that. (laughs) So once you've had your personal transformation into what God wants, you're ready to begin establishing the kingdom in culture. In the 70s, Lauren Cunningham with YWAM and Bill Bright uh, with Crew, formerly known as Campus Crusade, uh, had a similar dream about the same time. And it was called the Seven Spheres of Influence in a Society. Uh, and I think we have that for you. It's business, education, family, arts and entertainment, which includes sports. And on this slide, it's called celebration, media, church, and government. And we're all aware of these things. And actually, um, actually I think now it's the Seven Mountains. There's other people teaching it. Uh, but. We're all aware of these, but typically we only pay attention to the church. And then when we separate from them, the rest of the other spheres, we end up just waiting to get to heaven. And we're not really doing anything to help. And the world gets a little darker every time we do that. Because we have authority, we have power, we are the righteousness of Christ. And I'm not talking about dominion theology. I don't believe in that at all. I don't believe we're supposed to go take over these spheres. I think we're supposed to influence these spheres. We're called to serve. Jesus served everybody. So we have to serve in love even when we disagree, even when we don't like it. And you know, if, you're, if you are well spiritually, your disagreement with me doesn't offend me. It doesn't affect me either. It doesn't change my love for you. It doesn't change how I'll interact with you. It's, that's, I'm completely encased in his love. I know who I am. I'm a kingdom guy. And I can't help what you, where you are, but I can serve you and I can love you. And in doing that, that might be what pushes you over. Because if it gets confrontational, nothing's going to happen this good. But why is it so difficult? And it's partly difficult because we don't know who we are. We haven't abided it for the personal transformation so that we can now walk into DMV and be light. Even when you're number 14 and you realize you're on 17. (laughs) You know it happens. Because we're fearful, we don't know who we, we are or we say. We don't want to offend anyone, but it's more because we're afraid. Do you, do you know if, uh, that fear reveals that you haven't really settled anything? Wherever you're fearful, that, that's not settled in your heart. Because the Bible says 300 plus times, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. And we're afraid. All other cultural issues we're dealing with are clearly written about in Scripture, at least in principle. And there are challenges in every area. And the church's problem, I'll use the church in general, um, is that we keep trying to, to use the Bible to fix the world. And we're trying to fix a problem instead of transform it. You can't transform it when you mix. It's what's happened, if you want to get an example, it's what happened with the elections. It's exactly what happened with the elections. Everybody had more faith in their candidate than in God, and they used the Bible to defend it. And that's called syncretism, which is mixing the world and the Bible. You take the parts you like of the world, Take the parts you like of the Bible, you mix it together, you make a statement. We were robbed. And then you gather as many people as you can to believe you so that you can start a movement. And that's not the kingdom. You know, syncretism is really close to lukewarmness. I think you, because you'll pull things in that you like that dampen your spirit. And we've all been there. I have to. You can read Ephesians 4.19. It says that the word, it says to speak the word in truth, and it's true in doctrine. Where do you get doctrine? Out of the word. How do you get the word in you? Abide in the word. Stay in the word. Once you've been transformed, then you can speak into situations. Because the truth has set you free from expectations and agendas. When I share something with you, it's my goal that whether you throw something at me or kiss me. Yeah, don't do that. (laughs) Sorry, that was a terrible picture, wasn't it? (laughs) I need to take you to Eastern Europe. They like to kiss over there. Okay, to be able to speak the truth in love, we have to quit labeling people. When you label them, you bind them to their issue, and it makes it harder for you to love them. And I'll give you an example. We don't say a disabled person. We say a person with a disability. And you say, what's the difference? In the second one, they're recognized as a person first, not by their issue, whatever it happens to be. Because God sees them as people first. And if you don't learn to do that, you will label and you will not love. What you'll do is you'll separate. You'll say, I can love this group with their issue, but I can't love this group. And when you can separate the issue from the person, you're getting really close to kingdom. Because if you think about it, your issues were just as bad as everybody else's when Jesus came. And you can be free. Think about if, if, you're, if your kingdom language, which you know is love, is being expressed always to everyone in every situation, and you begin to honor them as created in the image of God, think of what that's going to do, even if they don't like you. Uh, Soon after I got saved, I was working in construction. And uh, uh, the same guys I'd been working with before I got saved. So it was ruthless. It was horrible. And I carried a Bible because I was new. You know, when you're new, you're really excited about the whole change. And so uh, I carried a Bible, and they were just, it was awful. (laughs) Actually, I probably need to get a counseling appointment. (laughs) Get this over with. So we went away to YWAM and a few years later I came back and I saw one of the guys and I was like, well, I'm just going to go say hey. So I walked over and his name was Rick and I said, hey Rick, how's it going? He said, hey, are you doing well? I said, yeah, I'm doing great. He goes, you still got that religious stuff? I said, yeah, I do. And he said, we always respected you so much because you never buckled and you never got angry with us. You just smiled and walked away. It's because I didn't know what else to do. But. <laughs> Sometimes the Holy Spirit helps in time of need. <laughs> so if you want to have a voice in changing the culture, just be dumb. That'll work. But make sure you're dumb in love. So separate the person from their struggle. And then we become a voice into every situation. And you bring the kingdom into all things. And you won't be loved. In fact, you may even be hated at times. But that's okay. If you really believe what Jesus has done and who he is and what he's coming for, you can take a minor setback in your personal comfort because you'll start to see them the way they really are. And then, you know, then we'll start to see the gifts flow. Right now sometimes we don't see the gifts flow because we're so wrapped up in our own stuff that if he did anything we would take credit for it and then we'd write a book about it and then we'd publish it and then we'd send pictures and special lithograph with a signature. Yeah pray over the cloths, which it's all good. It's in the Bible. I, I understand that. But the attitude isn't. And I don't think the enemy really cares if somebody gets healed in church. I think he cares if it happens in Kroger or Walmart or somewhere else that gives you a kingdom distinction from every other kingdom that's trying to rule and reign on this earth. We have him and his gifts. And His love and everything we need to continue that super story that's above all other stories. And I'm excited about that because we're moving that way. I think everyone's, you can feel the, there's momentum. It may not have been completely unleashed yet, but it's there. And you can feel it in worship, and you can feel it during the other messages, you can feel it around the earth. God's raising up a people, a remnant that can't be stopped. And martyrdom is a passageway. And when he's everything to you, it won't matter. And there's nothing more dangerous than someone who doesn't care about anything except you and other people. Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 16, 16 to 18, Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Can you imagine that revelation at that time? Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So Jesus said that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. And we know that gates are static. They're primarily to keep you out. They don't really move except to open and close. So I I started pondering, where are the gates of hell? Where are they? And you know what I've come to, to believe? It's a little elementary. They're at the entrance to the parking lot. Because as soon as you drive out, you're on his turf. The gates of hell are at the end of your driveway. So once you leave here, you know, I wanted, I wanted to find a little video with a, a congregation, all little lights sitting here, and then we all drive off and go out into the community and doing our thing to show what the kingdom looks like. You are the light of the world when you go to Kroger, wherever but you're on his turf. That's still his turf. Jesus has already won the victory, but he hasn't consummated it yet because he wants more people. But if you'll get yourself transformed by the word and by, by hanging out with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, then you can start speaking into the culture and then you are the most greatly to be feared person in the city because every injustice will have your face in front of it. Even though it's going to be uncomfortable. Think about it. If if all of us did that, we'd have a lot of friends in our discomfort. (coughs) You know, Paul and Silas that were singing in the... Yeah. I'm not sure I could sing, but you get the point. So when you run in, there's one kingdom here now in its fullness. And that's the kingdom of darkness. And it's being laid waste by an advancing and occupying kingdom of God, which is us. And there's still things left to talk about in our story. Next week we'll have the resurrection. Unless you change your mind, which I don't think you will. (laughs) And then we have the new heaven and the new earth coming after that. So there's more pieces to the story. But for now, be transformed for use in the kingdom to change our culture. We'll continue to build and advance the kingdom of God until one day when Jesus comes back, and his kingdom will reign forever, and we will be with him. I want to finish with this quote from Frederick Beechner in his book, Telling the Truth. It is a world of magic and mystery, of deep darkness and flickering starlight, is a world where terrible things happen and wonderful things too. It is a world where goodness is pitted against evil, love against hate, order against chaos, in a great struggle where often it's hard to be sure who belongs to which side because appearances are endlessly deceptive. Yet for all its confusion and wildness, it is a world where the battle goes ultimately to the good who live happily ever after and where in the long run Everybody, good and evil alike, become known by his true name. That the fairy tale of the gospel, with of course one critical difference from all other fairy tales, which is that the claim made for it is that it is true. That it not only happened once upon a time, but has kept on happening ever since and is still happening. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your overwhelming love and goodness to not only show us what we need to do, but to encourage us to do it. And so I ask by your Holy Spirit you would move through this room that anything of value would be captured forever, and anything of, of no worth at all, just, I ask that you help us to just remove it from our, our thinking. Lord, I thank you that your Holy Spirit is hovering over this congregation. I thank you that you're revealing things and that all we have to do is look towards you and be back in your plans and purposes. And I ask for kingdom demonstrations in this town, in this city, in this state in the weeks to come that we'll have so many testimonies that we won't be able to get them all up. We'll have to have a special service for just testimonies. So Lord, we bless you, we thank you, we honor you, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.